Hey everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode 140. We're in January 2020. And if you enjoy this show, you might want to think about supporting it on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. The link is in the show notes. It takes a couple of minutes and you will make everyone, including myself and yourself, happy. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phileas Club, the show where we get people from around the world, actual people, like not journalists or, all right, but not that journalists aren't real people. They're real people, but like people on the street, like who live there and who don't do this for a living, we get those people together and we get them to tell you what's been happening and how they feel about it. So we don't have like the uh, polished quality of traditional media. We're like guerrilla reporter type. No, we're not that either. But you get a sense of how people uh, feel and think in different countries and about different uh, things that are happening in the world. Like, for example, the impeachment story for Trump or whatever the hell is happening in Germany this day, these days. Um, because we have Matthias from Germany who's joining us. I'm Patrick Beja and we also have Wendy from the U.S., joining us. So uh, there you go. Transatlantic episode. Hello, Matthias. How's it going today? Hello. Yes, I'm a real person. I'm not a synthetic. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Not yet. Not yet. It's it's happening slowly. Um, <laughs> so thanks uh, for being on the show. You are in Germany. It's currently 4 p.m. for you? Yes. Uh, it is 5 p.m. for me because I'm in Finland um, and it is an ungodly hour of the morning for Wendy in the frozen wastes of, where do you live again? Colorado? Minnesota. Min right. That's the same <laughs> thing, isn't it? It's a, Close it's a, enough. They're super cold. Not, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, you know, I will confess that as much as Americans, I'm sure, mostly don't know where uh, French French, where European countries are on the map, um, I have no idea where most U.S. states are. I think I, I managed to do the um, the Friends challenge of uh, finding the names of all U.S. states uh, a, a while back. I think I might be able to do it mostly, but I don't know where they are. It's like California, uh, New York, Texas, and that's it. That's about it. Uh, everything else could be anywhere. I, I wouldn't know. So um, Well, there's East Coast, there's West Coast, and there's flywall country. So right, right. There. that's that's I'm the in flyover country just below our lovely neighbors, Canada. So that's where right. I am. <laughs> yeah, so it is yeah. frozen. So Hi, at everybody. least there's that. Um also Florida. I know Florida. I know a few I know a couple. Hawaii, Hawaii and Alaska. I know Hawaii. You're I know Alaska. There. I know Arizona. I know, there there are a few. All right. It's just it's I know a few, but not many. Um so yeah, I know where they are mostly, those few. Um Nevada, because Las Vegas. 
I've been to a couple of them, and I know those. Utah, so many. Actually, I know yeah. almost all of them. You know as much as... There's many Americans who don't know anything uh, west or east, I'm sorry, of the Mississippi because it gets crowded and it gets a little confusing. So, you know. Uh, and and okay. the Mississippi is a river, correct? Yes. Right. Yeah, it's there a river. Yeah. Very big one. <laughs> so I'm originally from France. I'm currently in Finland, but I think we're going to be talking about what ha what's happening in France, uh, mostly in my segment. But what do you think, Matthias? Should we start with uh, the U.S.? The U.S. is always like imposing its its uh, right. happenings on the world. So should we bend to the might of yeah, the American let's empire? Yeah, get the elephant out of the room, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I would like to know what you guys think about all of it as well. Uh, all right, yeah. well, let's do get started. Do you want started. me to start or do you want to lead me? Uh, you can, I mean, uh, you can choose whatever has been uh, making the news in your lovely country. I'm guessing it might be one thing, but it might actually be another thing. I, I try not to influence my uh, guests, so you decide. <laughs> so we're going to okay. be talking about Kobe Bryant, right? That's the main yes, topic. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, well, I would say there's three things okay. that are the, kind of the most dominant, but that has changed over time, right? We used to have maybe one or two things we could focus on at least for a day or two. And, you know, it's 20 every day. So <laughs> I don't know how fair it is to say three, but I'm going to pick the three that I have paid attention to. So how about that? All right. Um, let's do that. And that is, we're going to start with the sad one first. So Kobe Bryant's death on Sunday morning uh, was just so sad. I have, I have a 14 year old kid. He loves basketball. And, you know, he's pretty proud of not crying. And he just was sobbing. I mean, mm. It was so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking, partly because, um, I mean, he's so, so famous here, right? Like every kid, I, I actually help coach a little basketball team with my 11-year-old and his friends. And every time a kid makes an awesome faraway shot or shoots a half-court shot, they yell Kobe. And every time a kid throws a piece of garbage into a garbage can in a classroom, they say Kobe. It's like it's like in the vernacular of every young kid, for the most part, to say his name. Even though he retired from the NBA in 2016, I mean, he's very much in the consciousness. And so for him to, to die suddenly and tragically with, you know, his daughter on, on board the helicopter. So, so maybe you aren't familiar with what happened, but he... And I want to say there were nine total on the this helicopter took off Sunday morning in L.A. And there's some hills around L.A. and there was a lot, a lot of fog. And uh, they're not exactly positive, but I think the pilot was thinking he was past the mountains. He was trying to get under the fog to see and thought he was headed back into, you know, clear clear space and mm. was going sort of full speed. And there was one more mountain that he did not see. Wow. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's what was so strange to everyone is you would usually slow down in those conditions. So they were they were pretty sure he's a really experienced pilot, too. But mm. he he just thought he was over that last hill and he was not. So they crashed um, going full speed into this yeah, side. And, you know, the debris, you know, the area of where the damage took place was, you know, 600, I don't know feet or meters wide i mean it was it was quite a thing so just very sad affected a lot of people it's one of those things though you know in relationship to my two other topics is it's it's really heartbreaking on one hand but it also is one of those unifiers and we have so few things left i feel like sometimes as americans oh, that's <laughs> that we can all just be a little sad about you know or that we could all 
get behind or, or, you know, it's like a collective grieving. And, um, there's some really cool stories out of LA of just how people have connected over this and been good. And, you know, that's often what comes out of tragedy is sort of the best side of people shows up, I think, cause they put down their guards or they, mm. you know, they're feeling human emotions. So it's anyway, interesting. so that's a nice note to start on. Pretty yeah. I, I, so you guys heard about it, I assume, yeah. Well, I, at least for me, yes. In France, it was very much. Uh, it was making the news. It's. I don't think like the NBA is the biggest. The I mean, basketball no. is not the biggest sport in France, but it's definitely there, and people know about it. And Kobe Bryant's name was well known um, in in yeah. the country, and even for us, it was like weirdly shocking i guess uh, there's you know there's all the yeah. elements of a tragedy and he was young and his daughter and all the like it's so uh uh and it's someone that i think there was this one story that a journalist mentioned um uh, something that happened he was accused of sexual assault in 2003 and she was like fired but then they took it back they took him back i mean the they took her back the journalist but that was the only thing that anyone dared to say uh, something bad about this whole thing about Kobe Bryant so it seems like he's universally beloved and yeah that plays yeah. into the yeah and like you know. all really interesting people they're they're complicated no one is all amazing and good and he has you know and I don't know that the whole thing with that but um, there there was definitely a moment there that was mm not shining or stellar in his in his life and there are people who are have been hurt um so is that something that this, people like th is that something know, that people I think some of it is, is back in the day real? there was only you didn't know anything about anybody now you know everything about everyone and and so we used to just be able to put someone on a pedestal and, and yeah know, but i mean in the, in the case in of this thing in the case of this thing do people think that it it's it was, uh, you know, do people think it's real that he actually assaulted or, or raped that woman? Because if that's the case, it seems weird that, yeah, but, you know, it was in 2003. It's, it, 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 it was only one time, you know, it's, it seems like it right. would be talked about. So do people think, yeah, it happened and they settled it? Or do people think, well, we don't really know that it happened. It was a, a lawsuit and we don't know. Right. I think it's more of the second. And I also think mm. people's um, institutional memory is pretty short. And and then we have just the, the reality of how humans uh, grieve, especially collective grieving. Just think about it in your own lives or people you know, if someone passes away, they could have been the biggest jerk in your life. And you suddenly are under new obligation where you're just right. like, we don't talk bad about the dead. You know, we kind of, mm. and I don't know if that's everywhere in the world, but I do I feel like that is very uh, much a thing where it's, oh, no, it's of, everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. automatically like sacred ground, you don't really touch it. And so for, for someone to bring that up, I think took a lot of courage and people of course have been freaking out about it because we want someone to be all good. We don't want, and then if there's sort of a taint of bad, then we think they're all bad. Um, and I that's mean, a very there's, black there's and white human and, problem, there's taint brain and taint. This situation. Is, um, and I think that's oh, I think she can hear me when she's speaking. Happened is you just don't want to be interrupted in your grieving. and But yet the reality is the reality. And okay. also truly, I mean, I know that saying, oh, that was 2003, but like 2013, he might have not had as much a problem as he would in 2017, 18, and 19. So 
definitely thing has things have changed mm. you know with me too etc um yeah i think you can't hear me when i'm speaking if you're speaking oh. so i was asking something and uh you couldn't oh, hear sorry me. no i couldn't hear you all right um so yeah all right let's not spend the whole episode on on kobe bryant just uh asking <laughs> asking okay. matthias did you hear about it in in germany or or not Yes, it made the news. It even got uh, those breaking news notifications to get on your mm. phone from the different uh, news outlet apps. Uh, even those uh, popped up all the time. So um, it's the NBA isn't something that is reported on in the major newspaper that heavily, I think, except for, of course, the sports sections, I guess, but nothing that makes the headlines usually unless it's Dirk Nowitzki retiring or something. And uh, other than that, this one actually made all the headlines as mm. well over here. So everyone heard about it. Uh. All right. Well, there you go. Um, you might think you'd think maybe not, but uh, actually it does. It does make the news here, too. Uh, all right. Second topic, Wendy. Okay. So, I mean, impeachment um, is impeachment, right? Do, does everyone, is everyone following? I think, yes. I <laughs> um, think most people know what it is. Exhausting. It's exhausting because, um, well, first of all, one thing you guys might find interesting is the Senate is finishing up deliberations. So what happened was we have two bodies that um, the House of Representatives and they've sort of voted in based on population. They're like the people's house, the lower house. If you want to compare it to the, the British system, we're like the lower house of uh, parliament. That's the lower house. That's called the house. And then the Senate is sort of the lords in the English system of just like they're a little they, they get elected every six years instead of two um, they're, they're supposedly more dignified, <laughs> supposedly. Um, it's kind of like the grownups, uh, are, are supposed to, you know, be presiding. Hmm. So what's happened is the house impeached, um, sent articles of impeachment. They voted to impeach the president. Um, but they don't have the power to remove him from office or, or to decide on the case specifically. That is why it's then sent to this other body called the Senate. So the Senate has spent, um, the last week hearing arguments, two weeks hearing arguments from um, the Trump side of things and then also hearing the case that, that the House has presented that they have you know, decided he's impeachable and should be removed from office. So here's the crazy part about this is all of these senators have to sit in these rooms and listen to everybody talk, lots of lawyers talking, and they cannot use their phones. They cannot have contact with the outside world. It's it's age old, <laughs> shut the doors, lock it. No, you know, uh, reporters cannot, they have to use pens and paper. There is no phones, there's no recording, there's no nothing. Um, but there is broadcast a public, um, on public news and radio stations, the, the words. So the audio of what's happening, I'm sure there's some video too, I haven't seen any, but. Um, so there's just one source coming out and you can listen. And so NPR is the national public radio here. And it's just been playing 100% of the time. It's it's maddening. So what you do when you tune in is you just hear lawyers arguing exact opposite things. Um, you, you, you don't hear a lot of sense. And I don't know how much time either of you have sent, spent in courtrooms. I haven't, but I feel like 
I might have a sense of this, and you, I've, you guys I've might have seen of, some TV dramas. Yeah, I've seen a lot of, of TV this, and movies. How lawyers operate and their whole job. It's not about um, truth necessarily. It's about proving their client innocent or guilty, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it just feels as divided and partisan as always. And that that's the hard part. As a citizen, I sit, I listen, I read, I'm trying to pay attention. This is historical. It's the third time in all of our history that this type of thing has happened. Um, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky and boring. <laughs> so it's boring. And it's, as you mentioned, uh, they argue the exact opposite of everything, which is what has been happening in every aspect of political life, it seems, in the U.S., more even than in, in other countries, it feels like. Um, but is there anything beyond that? Because uh, uh, surprisingly, we haven't really heard much of it in uh, in France, I think. I guess I... I didn't actually realize that the the house had had passed it um and that now it was really that step the senators uh deciding what would happen so we're like oh yeah there's this impeachment thing happening it's the crazy us people doing stuff matthias is that also your feeling about it um we have All the major milestones, I guess, those are reported um, all over the news. And um, if you are looking at a special uh, in-depth political section, you will find the details. And if you will listen to uh, political podcasts or news podcasts, they might discuss it and the strategy and tactics behind it. But uh, in general, most people, if anything, only noticed uh, the major milestones and not the day-to-day activities. Or if something groundbreaking happens, for example, the... um, alleged upcoming book of uh, John Bolton, something like that, that makes the news. But other than that, not really. It's more like a background noise that pops up every now and then. I guess the way we look at it is, well, it seems like it's 100% not going to happen in the Senate, so we don't really even need to pay attention. And then there was this potential, like, it's now 95% going to happen because of this Bolton thing and the, the... the heaviness of the accusation and the clarity of the confirmation of the accusations. So I guess what I'm right. wondering is, is it just that and that's it? Or is it um, like, is it just the arguments and people saying, one is saying, you know, this is blue and the other one saying, no, it's actually yellow, shut up. And that's it. Or is it something more coming out of it? Well, here you would say, is it blue or red? Everything right. is Sorry, blue or yes. red here. So, yes. um, yeah, no, I, I think, okay, so it can seem that way. It seems that way from here as well. Like, well, everyone will protect Trump. There's no way they're going to vote that he is removed. But here's where, if you're paying attention at all, this is, I'm going to describe it as a sickening feeling. And maybe it's what anyone would feel with no real experience with the legal system, um, feels when they find out, you know, some guy's a good dad lost part of his custody from his kid because his wife had a better ex-wife had a better lawyer or, you know, just sort of the unfairness feeling of like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because what's actually happening with the Bolton thing in particular is that the Senate is refusing to call any witnesses. 
they are saying, well, that's what the House was supposed to have done, was call all these witnesses. Well, the House called amazing witnesses, but all of them were tertiary because everyone within the circle of the president who would have had direct conversations with him about any of things have refused to be subpoenaed, have refused to be um, to testify. So we have no first-hand knowledge of any of those things. And that's the Senate saying, well, we don't have the first-hand knowledge. Well, what's so amazing about Bolton coming out is he was in, the, in those rooms. He has documentation. He was talking to the pres president about Ukraine. He has words from the president's mouth. I mean, he's, an, he's a key witness and he's willing to testify. But these senators who the majority are Republicans, um, they have to have a certain number of votes to, to get these witnesses in there. They're standing in the way. So this feeling of powerlessness and partisanship winning the day rather than just a base, I feel like basic, the basic right to have a witness say what he heard or it's just maddening. And so that's part of it is this sick, frustrating feeling. So why did Bolton not come out when the, uh, the, the first house was doing the, the, the thing when they could have called him? And what is the justification of the senators for not calling him? Um, now, or I guess they're just saying, well, could have been called before, but. Right. And that is, that is what they're saying as their mm. justification. Well, you guys didn't do your job and you just, you're just want the president out. You're trying that the lawyers for the president's argument is this is, this is trying to hijack the election where we voted Donald Trump in as president. Mm. Let's just be reminded that he lost by 3 million popular votes. Just love to remind people of that. Um, but that that's what their justification is as senators. But now, okay, so the, the Bolton thing, what happened was the House attempted to subpoena someone close to Bolton who refused. So the president has pretty much instructed anyone around him to refuse. Um, and that, so the House would have to take him to court. So think lawyers everywhere, right? So this would cause this this big, long legal battle to get this guy to speak. Um, Bolton said the same thing. You can subpoena me, but I'm not going to do it. Um, and so instead of getting caught up in the big legal battles of all of these people, they went with the witnesses that they could get. Um, so Bolton reserving this information till now is is interesting because his book has this data in it, right? His book was uh, has to be pre-screened by someone... Um, I forget which agency, but to make sure nothing's confidential is being revealed. There's some checks on that. So people knew about this as early as December, the stuff he's bringing out now or we're learning about now. So it's it's fascinating. It's a little dramatic, you know, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But wait, you're saying that Bolton said he didn't want to testify? Now you're He did he did for the House investigation and now he's saying he's willing for what? the Senate. Okay, that's weird. All right. Yeah. Mm. Something's going on. All right, but we're still at this stage, and I guess they want to wrap it up fairly soon, so we'll have an answer, like, did I hear within, by the end of the week? Um, and it's unlikely that they're going to vote to impeach, because if they do, then that's impeachment. That doesn't mean he's removed, but there's another right. step, I think. Yeah, they have to then vote to remove him, um, and that's the thing that is is doubtful that a, you know, a Republican-dominated Senate would do. Okay. All right. So, and that should be wrapped up by the end of the week, I believe. That's what we're hearing. Right. It, well, if they're willing to let new witnesses come, which would then be this, you know, Bolton, that would change some things. But 
that's the question at the moment. Will they will they have a, any witnesses called? Mm. All right. Um, we'll we'll try to get the, the, someone who's closer to the right uh, in the U.S. Uh, maybe Tony, because that's always Tony. Um, at some point, to get their impression on uh, on this as well. But there you go. That's the second story, and regale us with the last one. Well, and yeah, I'm going to hand it right over to you guys after I mention it because it is a worldwide situation. There's just a number of Americans now affected. But the coronavirus is um, this example of, wow, how interconnected we are, especially with flying on airplanes um, and just sort of that feeling of, of instability that comes from that, which ties into a little bit of the impeachment thing. I think for the rest of the world, you're going, okay, your government's doing this weird stuff. For Americans, we have these three sets of three parts of the government that are supposed to balance each other out. And that is 100% in question right now. Does the Senate or does, you know, the the uh, Congress or legislative branch have any power over the executive or is it all, all president forever? And so that feels very, you know, tenuous. And then you have the coronavirus pop up and you're like, we're all going to die. That's a little bit of maybe how we're all feeling. <laughs> um, just to be clear, while we are looking at the impeachment uh, uh, trial from a distance and with little interest, I think part of it is because there's this feeling that the U.S. has kind of gone crazy with Trump. And this is not mm -hmm. a partisan thing to say. It's just the disconnect between people in the U.S. and maybe people who are sympathetic to Trump and the rest of the world. Um, because... Even though I, I, this is obviously uh, the point of the show and a point of pride of trying to listen to people and listen to how they feel and, and not going in thinking what they think is invalid, um, there is, I think, very much the feeling that even in France or anywhere in Europe, I think, and many other parts of the, of the world, um, regardless of if you're from the left or the right, the U.S. Is, has become... I hesitate to say crazy because that's really charged. But if you talk casually, it's like, yeah, it's the U.S. It doesn't make sense. And it's Trump. And that doesn't make sense either. Not in the sense that we don't understand why he's here. But it's just insane that it extends to that level of partisanship. Maybe even saying partisanship is more, is better than Trump. Because yeah. the fact that... This is getting to, it seems like objectively, it, it's getting to a point where the facts are difficult to dispute and still the, uh, uh, the faithfulness of the party is infallible, which becomes problematic from a democratic point of view and we are very much aware of that aspect of it even though we are like insensitive to it anymore because we're like there's nothing you can do they're insane there's also something else i think um because just a few days ago trump announced or the administration announced their um probable solution for the middle east crisis they have been talking about and um Everything the U.S. does seems to be tainted by these proceedings because um, 
apart from the fact if that's a good deal or not a good deal or if it's working or not, um, you always have in the back of your mind, maybe that's just something they do to take attention away from this impeachment thing. So wh whatever the US is doing, it seems to be a way to distract from other issues. And um, that's not just something or at least that's something i have the feeling this administration is doing more than other administrations i am not saying that's all true and i'm not saying that necessarily this timing wasn't just it wasn't just bad timing in this case but it's something a lot of people uh, are thinking about over here whenever they hear anything out of the us might this be just a distraction well and and a great example of that is uh, the killing of General Soleimani in Iraq is, I mean, we have we have Trump's tweets from when anyone else has been president, uh, Obama mainly saying, oh, you're just trying to distract us by doing something with Iran, you know? So we have this like an idea he already knows in his head and, and the impeachment starts happening. And then we take out a general that for two presidents, so we're talking 16 years, we've watched the guy, We've been very careful. There are reasons they have not taken him out before because it's essentially an act of war. And it was done kind of knee jerk. And you talk to anyone or listen to anyone who, you know, has done these things for years and knows all the protocol. It, it's it's like chaos. I think chaos is maybe a great word. And so it's hard to differentiate because it feels like and chaos. Again and again, I'm not saying that other administrations didn't do this because uh, controlling well, sure. the new cycle, the agenda setting, that's something that every politician or every uh, government is doing or trying to do. But uh, for a lot of people, um, I think Trump is just uh, that guy that would potentially do this just because he's Trump. That's that's just the yeah. feeling a lot of people uh, have, I think. And uh, some of the newspapers also jump on that bandwagon and uh, question almost everything the U.S. is doing with right. that in mind. I think the 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 well, killing, okay. uh, the the killing uh, in uh, of the the general was definitely looked at as okay, now he's actually gone insane. Because I don't think, there haven't been many, I'm not going to say never, but there haven't been many this unprovoked um, acts of almost war or full-on war um, like this. And that was, maybe it was a gamble and he knew that, you know, Iran wouldn't retaliate too strongly and he was okay with the way they would retaliate and it was a calculated risk. And maybe even I'm willing to make to make room for the possibility that it was necessary, but it just feels, again, completely crazy. And that plan in um, the Middle East is also looked at as it, it's, <laughs> it's not a good plan. It's like, it's the, it feels like the product of Trump's ego, which mm -hmm. is uh, th this, this, thinking that if he wills it strongly enough, it will happen, which, you know, he was elected to uh, <laughs> the presidency of the U.S. <laughs> so you never know. Maybe he will manage to um, find to establish peace in the Middle East. But yeah, it doesn't seem so. That's the, the prism through which we we look at all of this. And uh, I want to go back to the coronavirus, but you wanted to say something, Wendy, and then we'll move yeah, on. Yeah, just just one last kind of uh, I guess it. It's the foundation of Trump is clearly not my favorite president, right? But Trump isn't the 
the key. He just is Teflon. And that's because, you know, anyone else has some, maybe some shame about some things or they would step to, I mean, you know, the reason um, Nixon wasn't actually removed from office is because he stepped down because the evidence mm -hmm. was clear. And and I just don't think Trump has a limit. And, and that is frightening when you think of the power that he has. Um, and the, the Congress is just relinquishing more and more power to the president. And the irony is the next one could be a Democratic president. And you've that that president has all the power now. The whole point is that we sort of cr create this balance. But but let me just throw out one one underlying thing. And I think this is partly why Trump is so popular with a lot of folks who have felt like they've gotten left behind is because there's a lot of people in America who are left behind. So you look at this sort of chaos of all of this and some studies have come out recently that are not related to the timing of anything. And it's one in every five American children is living in poverty, is, is food insecure. Like we are supposedly one of the wealthiest countries in the world with all this power and we have hungry kids. Like what is happening? So I think there's really some distraction from um, that, that. That's part of the, you know, the media cycle or something shiny gets our attention or whatever it might be, we kind of don't deal with our own problems. And so you have those folks who feel like he finally represents them. And so they dig in even more because it's more than just like, I like this guy or I like his policies. They Some people think like him, but they think he's scary a little too. It's that they, people are feeling a little unsafe or unsettled and somebody represents them. So that's my fear is historically, that's never been a good thing. Um, and, and taking care of your problems in your own country really matters. But I can understand that they felt they, those people, the, the, the poor, would feel he represented them initially because he was outside the system and he was a big middle finger, as we've said many times, to, to the establishment. He's been in office for uh, a, a two, three, three very years long now. Year. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, three years. Ha has I guess there's a big component of all of this, which I always have to remind myself of, it, which is even if he doesn't do anything for those people, which maybe he did and I don't know, but it, it doesn't feel to me like he did. The key is that they hate the other people, the other guys, even more. And, and that is, it's kind of is starting a little bit here as well but it's not as strong and the fact that we have multiple parties is yeah. a, a key way of making sure that doesn't uh, uh, metastasize in that way because you you can shop for ideas you think are interesting even if your um the party you like is not the best then there's an adjacent party that you think okay i can you know look at these guys and maybe look at what they're doing it's not just the saint and their arch enemy, which are mm -hmm. available to you, even intellectually, you know, so. Um, right, 100% yeah. right. All right. Um, Since you mentioned the coronavirus, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> just as we're recording this, uh, a news alert popped up that uh, Lufthansa, the airline, the German airline, has canceled all flights to and from China until February 9th because of the coronavirus, just mm. in at the moment and uh since you mentioned it yeah I it's, bring it up. it's definitely been a big story uh in france as well i think the the way we've thought about it collectively was first 
the uncertainty and a little bit of panic, of course, of, oh my God, this is another, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you call it like that in English, the SRAS, S-R-A-S. Uh, in French, it's like oh, SARS. Yeah, SARS. Yeah, there you go. SARS. Yeah. Um, um, so another one of those, or another avian flu, or anything, something like that. But we we were kind of like, oh, let's kind of not wait and see, but we don't know much, and that's frightening. But now the second wave is a little bit of, all right, um, this is not the end of the world. It has a. a a, a death rate of 2.5% and those people were um, older or fragile in some way. The regular flu does just as much damage, if not more, um, and people don't freak out about that. So there's kind of a calming, not everyone, but there are a number of uh, reports that have been focusing on you know what, this is not panic worthy. We keep an eye on it. It's important. It we need to make sure it doesn't get out of hand, but we're not panicking. So I don't know if, you know, in Germany, it's been the same approach. Kind of, because mm. uh, we, we also have like, I think, three cases. So, uh, there was one case and now they're uh, looking at the people in his family. But I think uh, most of the people, uh, news reports are rather um, analytical about this so it's not really panic but it's more like uh, well this is happening in china and uh, then there is this case in germany this uh, these three cases in the us and maybe in canada or somewhere but that's about it so it's not really panic in terms uh, in the same sense as it was with sars or uh, like i what was the 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 avian flu yeah uh, a few years back so it's it's not really panic. I think it's the same. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. Um, the the there's definitely a, an economic um, uh, angle to the reporting as well because the province, the the town. First of all, we discovered that there was this town of ten million people that no one had heard about, and uh, and it's like, well, there you go. That's China for you. Um, but also, yeah. it it has a lot of um, uh, apparently automotive. Uh, factories and um and that has an effect on Fran of on French industry of course and then there's a number of the, the the economic aspect is also being reported on but uh what about the US is it constant panic on 24 hour news networks uh selling it's you not, fear it's uh, not but i think it's I'm a, almost I mean, disappointed it probably is i don't watch those um but i think what it is is sort of the, the idea of you know the airplane as the trans transmission of these things is a little bit frightening, right? Because we use them so much and we travel so much. And anyway, so uh, one recent piece of news is that 200 Americans who were living in that t in that area, um, Wuhan, right, is the epicenter of, of where the outbreak was, um, have all been flown back to the United States. And so they are in Alaska just now arriving and, you know, all the protocols to make sure everyone is healthy before they enter into the country. Um, but we did have a couple, I think the case in California, there was a case in California um, and some other things. So it's just how interconnected we are, I think is can be amazing and scary with this sort of thing. Yeah, that's been also part of the conversation around it. It's the fact that an outbreak can become a pandemic very quickly because of all of it, which even, you know, with SARS 15 years ago, wasn't as, as much the case. 
Um, it was, you know, to an extent, but not as much. I think that is the realization that's coming out of it. And very quickly, it can become a worldwide thing. So that's, uh, that's interesting as well. Um, mm. Other things from France, um, the strikes, which by the way, we did a special on strikes last episode. Uh, so go check that out if you want to know why the French love to strike so much and how they approach that, uh, that habit. Um, but the strikes are kind of as Kasim predicted in, uh, in that episode, kind of um, calming down a little bit, not in intensity, because the people who are still striking, of course, are very determined. Uh, but there are uh, less people going on strikes and going on demonstrations and stuff like that. There was uh, firefighters who um, went on the, on a demonstration yesterday, I believe. And it was a, a kind of a shocking sight because it was firefighters uh, facing police policemen and women um and that is kind of two uh uh in infrastructure representatives of an infrastructure that is well respected well for the firefighters at least um but even for the for the police uh forces i i most people would say that although that's going down with those latest issues but um yeah so that was a little bit of a shock but now we're kind of expecting the re the reform, the retirement reform to go through, to be discussed a little bit, maybe delayed uh, by in the parliament um, by the opposing parties. But mostly it seems like the most likely outcome is that it's going to go through. It doesn't mean that people like it, but, uh, you know, that's how the game works i suppose um and yeah we'll see it, there is the kind of safety uh thought that if it's really bad then a future government could alter it so there is still the democratic uh system that could be leveraged there but also, most people expect that no matter how bad it is, it wouldn't be altered because it's such a cluster truck um, of a of a reform that I it, it it seems like no one will want to touch it again. Um, but so yeah, that's been happening as well, and I think the 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 virus and this uh, are the two main topics. Um, I'm guessing that the strikes weren't the main bit of news anywhere other than France. But um, if that's not the case, then Matthias, I would be curious to think what you, to hear what you think about this. So uh, it it's not really making the news anymore because it's uh, had, has been going on for such a long time. Kind of the same thing as with Brexit, because no one is talking about Brexit anymore because that's boring. That's old news mm. that has been going on for so long. No one cares anymore. And uh, well, well, in a couple of days, anyway. everyone will be talking so, about uh, it's it. It's the again, same but... with uh, the strikes in France. Although those uh, videos of the firefighters uh, clashing with the police <laughs> yesterday made uh, quite a lot of uh um waves in so on social media and those were uh well shocking videos i guess because they were really going at it and uh, we are uh, kind of used to uh, um, pol police brutality i guess in france but uh, that was quite shocking for a lot of people seeing that they are um, going at firefighters and not just though they're kind of different than the quote unquote normal 
uh, protesters, I guess. So, mm. but other than that, um, it pops up every now and then if there is something they are about to change in terms of legislation, but not really. It's just boiling under the boiling point, I guess. So no one really uh, notices it anymore. Okay. Um, I guess it's my setup that is weird because you didn't hear me when I was talking here either. Um, this is, I changed a little bit of my setup and it's going very strangely. So, uh, all right doesn't matter too much but i now i know the wonders of podcasts uh podcast production um yeah okay so it's been going on so much and so i guess i'm gonna uh ask about this a little bit more because i i have to be fair about this there's an air of police brutality in france like this doesn't even surprise you anymore that's how you you understand what's happening well um i I think that um, in Europe, uh, French police is uh, considered rather brutal in comparison. They, so they and uh, with the recent uh, clashes, there have been a lot of cases of um, those um, non-lethal ammunition, those uh, rubber balls or whatever which uh, injured a lot of protesters and that made a lot of news and uh, that's just something that uh, i don't know maybe it's it's just me and my bubble that notices that but um that has been noted that there were a lot of uh, heavy clashes with the police well it's definitely not just you and your bubble i mean that is has been a big point of contention in France as well, as we discussed in last episode. It's it it absolutely is a thing, but I'm just I was surprised that you would put it that way, I guess. And it seems to apply not just to this quote unquote conflict, but a general view of uh the, the the police forces here so I was surprised I think I think statistically there are actually a lot of cases uh, on, on both the French police but uh, I'm not sure I, I remember some reading something about it a while ago but it's uh, I don't have it ready so I can't quote these statistics or anything okay. it's just something that in the back of my mind that they are considered rather brutal in uh, on the European scale I guess okay I guess in the in the US you look at this if you've even seen it and think, oh, this is Disneyland. <laughs> <Not funny. laughs> yeah, we're we aren't overly concerned about your level of uh force, but uh <laughs> you know, my time in Europe did teach me that it's I mean the the jump to the US level is is big. And and I, I have actually a question about that. I mean, we we very much militarized our police. They are, you know, suited up in all sorts of things. I mean, they look like they're headed to war on, you know, routine police routes sometimes, depending on where you are in the country. And I just wonder, is it similar there? Are, are they weaponized to the their eyeballs or how does it look oh, in France? Oh, God, no, God, no. Um, it is, no, of course not. It's, uh, it's very rare that someone will actually use a gun in any event in police work in France. And firing a gun is a, grave occurrence um what we're talking about here which is you know i'm not saying it's not grave it actually is it's it's pretty bad it's police brutality with those non-lethal uh rubber balls um that mm. were used a little bit too liberally the the um grenade de désencerclement is like uh, uh grenades that that do 
smoke and and discomfort, mm-hmm. heavy discomfort, that kind of thing that we're used to liberally. It's also um, some demonstrators being dragged by their hair, which was shocking to see because, of course, everyone's filming everything. And there's been many instances of these things. Um, there was one which I think we talked about on the last episode, which was a policeman was... Uh, pushing a woman that they had arrested and another one walked in front of her and tripped her for no reason and she fell flat on her face which is like obviously unacceptable Um, so this is the kind of police brutality we're talking about so far uh, no one has died there have been some grave injuries some pretty bad injuries but it's like it's bad for the civilized world but for the U.S., it wouldn't make the news. Well, I, I would say in the U.S., you, you, I mean, they are so weaponized. There tends to be a, a level where people won't continue messing with them, <laughs> right? So that, the, and that's the problem is they think that's the deterrent, right? Is that they have all, they are so weaponized. But we do have the right to protest and the right to peacefully assemble. So there is a lot of police around lots of things. And a recent thing that happened here, maybe you guys heard about too, was um, in Virginia, they were voting um, on some things about gun restrictions in a Southern US state. And so there was a lot of protesters coming from both sides and kind of a hotbed right there. And so, yeah, we have our own version of this. Maybe it doesn't escalate to to, um, the police doing the hair pulling but it's, you know, we're partisan. It's us pulling each other's hair, I guess. So they have to, to keep the peace. It's tricky. I, and I, I did wonder what you guys thought of that same concept or that what's happening in Hong Kong with the protesters there. Are you familiar with what they're going through? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the the catalyst for this for me as a gamer and a Blizzard uh, 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 aficionado was the issue with the uh, Hearthstone uh, esports pro that was caught up in that issue we're not gonna revisit it here but certainly in hong kong it is a, a non-democratic regime mm-hmm. uh shutting down uh protests and that is a different i mean for as bad as things get in france which i guess they do get bad um it's it's not comparable. I wouldn't say it's comparable. No, and no. Um, yeah, and and another thing, which the image I have of protests in the U.S. is actually fairly tame compared to the ones in France. I I thought about it when you talked about it just now, but when I think about protests in France, there is a certain degree of chaos and violence, and I'm sure there is some, you know, violence happening in the US as well, but it doesn't seem to me like, you know, I'm I'm making a liar out of myself for what I just said to 10 minutes ago. I don't have the image of police actually being uh, mishandling those situations. Of course, we all know that police brutality can happen in other situations in the U.S., but in those situations, it seems like the police would be handling it better than we are in France. Now, of course, in France, it's been for two or three years, every other Sunday is (laughs) a trying uh, demonstration. So maybe the situation is a little bit different here. But yeah, certainly that that's surprising to realize that I wouldn't think the U.S. police forces would be as 
bad as at handling those uh types of demonstrations over there so well one thing real well, quick oh go ahead go ahead matthias i was just going to say uh, if i Think about it. If you hear something about police brutality or the uh, actions of police men and women in the U.S., you usually only hear in uh, special instances. So not on a, a huge protest where they go at it, but it's more like there is one person who was arrested and someone was uh, shot or someone was, I don't know, uh, it's always someone was force shot. or whatever it's but it's mostly uh, small singular instances we notice and not like in france like uh, there's a huge protest and uh, the police uh, had a clash with demonstrators or something protesters yeah we tend to well i'll just tell you the the formula that gets followed here that is i think maybe is why that happens is that everyone has to go get a permit <laughs> so you have to get a permit to assemble and they divide you, depending on which side you have your permit for, you can be on this side of the street or the other side of the street, and never the two shall cross. Um, and then the police are there to just maintain that. And um, and people pretty much follow that. We've, we've had, obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's rough, um, and it can be, but it's almost as if the police are the neutral part. And it sounds like in France, the police don't, they don't seem neutral in the fight, whereas here we're fighting citizen against citizen. You guys have maybe a different a different fight, but but really there are p permits handed out. You so, have to well, have a permit, or you get arrested if you're standing there. So mm. I guess that's what you they mean do. each individual person has to have a permit? No, no, no. I'm okay, sorry. Like okay. what, the group. So you you sign up as a group. I assume one person on their own standing in a desert. It's like they designate the area. You have to have a permit for the area. Okay. Um, so if somebody wanted to to demonstrate outside of a corporate headquarters because they're having a meeting that affected them, they would have to be so many feet away from the entrance. They'd have to stand behind a fenced thing. They could have sign. You know, you have a lot of rights within that space, but it's never um, you never have the right to cross onto um, mm. what has been designated without a permit, which probably solves some problems, but it's interesting to think about how different that is. Yeah, we, we have to uh, declare to announce that a demonstration is going to take place and to say where you are going to go. It's a public safety issue and you know which streets you're going to go yeah. through and all of that and you're going to march from here to there and you have to get it approved. Usually that's not a big problem. Obviously, things go often go awry from there. Uh, but again, that is not necessarily the big uh, takeaway from what you were just saying. I think for me, the big takeaway is indeed you might be fighting citizen against citizen. If there's a conflict in France during a demonstration, it's always citizens versus the police. That is like, I have very rarely heard about two marches or two groups of demonstrators demonstrating against one another. You just do it one day and then, you know, the other one takes the next weekend. Um, but when conflict arises, it's citizens versus the police. And there's that, that uh, uh, confrontation that is very clearly felt. Um, all right, let's uh, conclude this episode with what's been making the news in Germany. If, if we haven't already covered all of it, I feel like all of our stories were fairly uh, international today. Yeah, so a lot of the news that came in over here are 
the ones we have been talking about, so I thought I might talk about a quote-unquote inheritance of fascism and, and nationalism that has been affecting people in Germany, if not on a daily basis, then I, I guess at least on a weekly or a monthly basis for the last 75 years, because uh, I was wanted to talk about the thousands of tons of unexploded ordnance still lying underground all over the country, especially in the large cities. And uh, over the course of the Second World War, the Allies dropped around. Now I'm hearing myself. <laughs> oh, sorry. Are, are you hearing yourself now? Yes. Oh, that is weird. Uh, okay, let me do. Let me do this, and hopefully now you shouldn't be hearing yourself. Tell me if that's the case. I'll try again. Okay, now I'm. It's it's okay. No, I right. don't hear myself anymore. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, so uh, over the course of the Second World War, the uh, Allies dropped around um, 750,000 tons of bombs over Germany, and experts estimate that around 10 to 20 percent of these bombs were defective or didn't detonate on impact as expected. And especially the huge urban and industrial areas are affected since they were the main targets of the Allied bombing raids. So, for example, Berlin, Hamburg, Köln, München, all the large cities. Uh, but apart from that, there are also these huge amounts of ammunition and smaller devices still buried and found today, starting with something as small as grenades or mortar and artillery shells to whole ammunition dumps. And every year, around 5,000 to 6,000 bombs and incendiary devices are being diffused on average in Germany, and those numbers are rising. Uh, one reason for the rise is that uh, there is a boom in construction, which is especially felt in the large cities. So the demand for housing is high, and that means that a lot of free areas are being used to build new houses. And during the construction, they often find these bombs lying underneath the surface. And uh, if they find something like this, usually this means they have to evacuate the surrounding area, which is not just a disruption of your daily life if you live there, but also expensive and a logistical challenge, especially if there's, uh, those evacuations involve retirement homes or hospitals, and at the worst case, if you have to evacuate an intensive care unit. And out of the top of my head, I can remember two large cases this month that made the news. One was in Köln, where around 6,000 people and a part of a hospital had to be evacuated. And another one in Dortmund, where 13,000 people had to leave their homes uh, because of a dispo um, disarmament. And uh, the largest evacuation to date, I think, was on Christmas Day in 2016. There was a 1.8-ton bomb found in Augsburg, in the city center of Augsburg, and that prompted the evacuation of 54,000 people on December 25th, which was considered the biggest uh, bomb-related evacuation in Germany uh, post in post-war history. So it's uh, something that's coming up a lot uh, these days. One of the more spectacular finds was um, a bomb in Munich in 2012, and this one was deemed unsafe for transport. They had, they had to explode it on site in the middle of the city, and even though the experts and the fire department were trying to minimize the damage by dampening the sites with large, large amounts of straw 
and other things. The explosion shattered windows and uh, over, over a right area and caused structural damage to the buildings uh, with the costs in the millions. And these pictures uh, made were quite spectacular because one, it was uh, after dark, so it was a big fire show and the straw they used to dampen uh, this made a huge mess all over the place because it caused several fires in the aftermath. And if I think back to last year, there was a... Um, incident that made the news and a lot of on, on social media especially uh, there was a field near a town uh, that had an undetected aerial bomb beneath and that went off in the middle of the night creating a crater 10 meters in diameter and four meters deep and um, the thing is this field has been plowed and sowed over for the last 75 years without anyone realizing that there was a huge bomb right underneath it and it was only luck that the device went off in the middle of the night and no one was injured. So that's still an ongoing problem to this day. And um, to link this to another topic, a hot topic, in fact, the climate change, pun intended, um, the effects of extreme weather are also facilitating the problem because during the long dry summers of the last two years, for example, the water levels of several rivers and lakes dropped dramatically and that exposed a lot of bombs that were lying underwater and now were uh, lying in the open and the heat also made the devices unstable and if that all wasn't bad enough there is uh, the danger of forest fires because if that happens in an area with a lot of old ammunition they can go off at random for once and it also poses a significant risk for the firefighters and uh, it prevents them from getting into certain areas as it happened in 2018 in Brandenburg, they simply couldn't uh, fight forest fires in some areas because it was too dangerous because there was so much um, unused or underexploded ammunition in the area. They could they could just not uh, risk sending people in there, and they had just had to let it burn down. Yeah. No. Okay. And of course, that's not limited to Germany. Of course, if you go back like a hundred years in the First World War, if was mainly fought in Belgium and parts of France on the Western Front and it devastated whole areas which uh, are uninhabitable to this day because of the unexploded ordnance and the contamination due to chemical agents or really every other major conflict in the last century. Think Vietnam, think Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, whatever it is, you name it, there are still so much remnants of um, explored, unexploded ordnance and mines and it's a huge mess and even in a country like Germany 75 years later it's still such a huge problem and it's only getting worse because as time goes by those uh, bombs start to deteriorate further and further and are becoming a greater hazard. Mm. So let, let me ask you this um it's certainly a problem everywhere, and in France as well, if we go back to World War I. Um, but it seems to me, and that's an impression as a European and as, uh, you know, hearing what you say sometimes on this show, it seems to me that the um, shadow of World War II is still very much present in the uh, German psyche for obvious reasons. And maybe also for for reasons like this one, which brings it back into memory all the time, um, maybe in a way that it is not as present uh, in other European countries, which were also very much affected by World War II and by Germany's party uh, status. Um, 
is that fair to say that World War II is a constant part of German culture and psyche today, or is that just an impression? Mm, I think so, because if, as we are recording this, this week was the 75-year anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, which was all over the media for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a um, certain movement, I guess, or especially on the far right, they try to uh, argue, well, that was so long ago and we didn't have, we today have nothing to do with this. We are not responsible for it. So it's time to get past this. Mm. And on the other hand, uh, we have still have survivors of the Holocaust and we still have a few um, people alive today who were alive during the Second World War, but these numbers are diminishing. So I guess it's not as uh, present in the conscious in the the, the, in the the conscious of everybody as it was 10 20 30 years ago but uh, we're still have it as a very integral part and as you said it's mostly world war ii for obvious reasons and uh, world war one even though it was like the anniversary the 100 year anniversary just a few years ago is not that much in the minds of everybody in comparison to world war ii so when you say it's they say it's time to get past it what do they mean like how do you actually get past it do you just not beat yourself over the head over it anymore or it's a good mean? question that you should ask someone who is saying that because no one really well it's mostly um we need to stop feel guilty about this mm. it's something along those lines or um the obvious reason if uh, if you have anything about uh, israel for example that they always complain well we can't approach our um, opinion or our uh, um, mm. relations to israel in comparison to this what happened 75 years ago okay so let then let me take the other side of this when will it be okay to not feel responsible for it anymore well it's not uh, in my opinion not yet. it's not about now in my opinion it's not about feeling responsible it's more um i'm not sure who said it it was one of the holocaust survivors who said it um you and was talking to a group of people probably young people and he said um you are not responsible for what happened but you're responsible that it never happens again. And I think that's uh, the essence, basically, for um, you can't forget it because you always need to remind yourself this is what can happen. And it has happened and it probably will happen again. And you need to be vigilant enough that it never happens again. So that's, mm -hmm. for me at least, is uh, the, the, the approach I'm taking because the... Um, statement we are not responsible is true i i wasn't born my parents weren't born uh, during the world uh, second world war so we, we can't do anything about it we couldn't prevent it or anything but we can work that it never happens again so that's the difference i guess mm. yeah that's in, that's a, a really um interesting way of looking at it um then i know you are a little bit of a, a um crazy leftist in the eyes of some of our more right-wing friends um would you say it's it, it's we're down the path of it happening again because it seems to me like you're worried about it like at, not just as a theoretical potentiality from the future 
you're actually worried about what's happening in the world today and in Germany today. Do you think we're down that path? Um, the, if you ask that question, it's, it's always the difference between will it happen the same way again or something similar? Mm. I don't think that we'll see concentration camps uh, again in Germany or in any other country like they happened during World War II. But um, the sentiment around the, that you have a group of people who you blame or for everything or the sentiment that you um, try to discriminate against a certain group of people just because of their birth of their religion of their whatever they believe in that's the problem i am seeing and i think it's it's like discrimination more than the actual threat of life but again I am neither Jewish nor I am part of a minority, so um, I'm from the privileged side, so I can't really say it's not going to happen again or it's not happening today because there is discrimination every day, racism or whatever in Germany as well, and people are experiencing it. But I'm lucky enough that I don't have to face it, face this personally, but that makes me responsible for to stand up for those people and uh, try to prevent anything like this from happening again. I, I want to push back a little bit just because you know me and I like to take the other side of things. But I, I first, I completely agree and respect with what you're saying because I think you have the right outlook on these things. When I was kind of... I, it's not like I was trying to trick you, but asking legitimate questions, and I think your answers make a lot of sense. But um, do you think that racism or discrimination is necessarily leading down that, uh, again, path of not exactly the same thing, but something that would be equally worrisome? Or because it it's it might seem to some, possibly me, that yes, there is a little bit of discrimination and a little bit of racism, and it's always been there, and it will always be there, more importantly, and not every time we witness it does it mean that, you know, a, a new form of, of um, uh, totalitarian regime is coming into place, you know? Um mm. Um, the easy answer would be, I don't know what is going to happen. Mm. So I can't really yeah. answer the question. But um, the problem I'm seeing would be, uh, one, I don't want to institutionalize anything or I want, don't want it to be... Um, I, I hesitate to use the term political correct because that's uh, overused and, uh, you know, the uh, implication of political correctness in this um, context, but I don't want it to be okay to uh, talk or uh, about certain, for example, ethnic ethnic minorities in a certain way, and I don't want it to be okay or normal that you uh, use racism in your everyday life. Mm. So that's that's the main issue. Again, um, I don't think you have to go to the extreme of concentration camps uh, for something bad to happen. Right. There's a lot in between. Mm. And uh, what I myself think is I don't want this movement, slow creeping movement towards something bad. And for me, I just want to make 
uh, put a clear line in the sand and say this far and no further, so to speak. Mm. So you don't. If want... that makes any sense. No, it does very much. So it, it, I under the way I understand it is, if we're starting to normalize racism and to make it acceptable and discrimination, then that's already part of the battle that's lost, and it's you don't like that. That. Yeah, and, and for example, just coming back to um, Israel, uh, that's something you often hear um, that people uh, try to use the approach. Well, uh, if you um, remember what happened 75 years ago, you can't criticize Israel anymore. And that's something that's the extreme uh, position no one is really taking. Because, of course, you can criticize Israel as you can criticize any other um, country, any other government, any other whatever. Um, the difference is that you can't, um, how shall I put this, that you can't um, have different uh, me measurements, I don't know, you can't have different standards in um, at Israel in comparison to any other country. Mm. So uh, you can't be overzealous uh, when you say, well, uh, Israel can't do anything in Palestine because don't you remember what happened to you 75 years ago? Mm. That would be something that would be anti-Semitic in this case. I would say that that's, that's not okay. But if I say, well, um, what your do Israel is doing in Palestine, just an, as an example, uh, is a violation of human rights. I'm not talking mm. about any specific, just abstract here. Um, then it would be okay for me. Mm. Okay. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does. Thank you for indulging my uh, <laughs> my uh, uh, contrarian uh, tendencies. Wendy, you've been uh, very kindly quiet in the background. Is there anything you want to <laughs> add before we uh, conclude this episode? I'll give you the last words. Oh, my. Well, I just, first of all, that's a heavy, that's a heavy topic. Um, and really important one. Uh, I did have a a question just in everyone's experience and Matthias, maybe yours in particular. Um, when I travel anywhere as an American, I get certain responses to me automatically. I don't have to do anything to get them. Um, and or questions, um, that are, especially for those who've never traveled here or maybe don't have a lot of contact with other Americans. And, and and I could talk about those things. I'm just wondering for both of you, what, what happens to you? I can imagine uh, being German, there's specific things that happen, maybe being French. And I, I, I find that fascinating because Matthias is defending lots of things and having to talk about, you know, representing all the people and all their attitudes and what do we do? And, you know, and that's a, that's a tricky card. And I just wonder, have you been in that position as you've traveled or interacted with others? Um, based on, oh, you're French, so blink, blink, blink. Mm. I think that for me, I'll, I'll let Matthias uh, go second. <laughs> but for me, it, because it, I don't have a lot to say about it, most reactions are people go, ho, 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 wee, wee. <laughs> and like, seriously, that is the most common thing. And I, I kind of, it doesn't really annoy me anymore, but it's like, it is kind of dumb. Um, yeah. But I'm sure I do it about, other people so i don't know it's just the way the world works um the thing that does bother me a little bit uh even though we do it playfully sometimes is the um surrender monkeys uh thing with with the french um 
if you talk about it seriously, if you have any, uh, you know, knowledge of <laughs> French history, uh, and even of recent history, it's not that simple, and it is difficult conversations uh, and difficult times, and it's I don't know. It it feels it it bothers me a little bit. Not to the point that it actually bothers me, but it does bother me a little bit, and that is a very common uh, thing. But I don't know. I I I. You know what? I was going to say I joke about the Americans all being cowboys and eating ham hamburgers all the time, but I don't really. You know, I, I might yeah. make a joke here and there, but I don't really do that like on a regular basis. The French thing with the ho 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 and the surrender monkeys, like you can bet that maybe that's a little bit, maybe it's changed in the past. You know what? This is what Trump has done uh, for the world. He's degraded the image of the U.S. so much that people in the past couple of years have stopped doing that thing that I was talking about to me as a French person uh, because they don't, you know, feel it's appropriate to make fun of other uh, populations anymore, I suppose. So thank you, oh. Donald Trump. <laughs> we should make a list of yeah. things we're, things well, we're grateful for. There's him. one item. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Matthias, what about you? So, uh, where is your baguette and where is your wine bottle? That's the <laughs> well, two steps you forgot. The thing is, the baguette, and, and maybe it's because I don't live in France anymore. I've not lived in France for a few times, but those I would, like, receive with pride. Because, holy crap, other countries don't know how to make bread. And, well, uh, they, they might know how to make wine. Uh, that's I can admit to that, but we... Ours is really good too, but bread, like, no, it's not. I will contest the bread thing because <laughs> if there is something with bread, Germans have it. Mm. So it's not baguette, but we have so much bread. I'm contesting that heavily. Well, I mean, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the quality and the variety. You're forgetting the variety. <laughs> That's not as well. First of all, I might dispute that variety claim as well we you know what we have to meet up somewhere in europe either germany or france and have a a, a bread showdown at some point um, all right i'm up for it and, i love and it wendy will will come over and be the judge and i will tell you right now you will win every bread contest there is no good bread in this whole country <laughs> <laughs> no i, I meant try, you'll be none. the judge you'll be the judge between oh, germany and france yeah, i'd love to i would love to right. um i was going to say really quick, and then uh, matthias you can answer yours but i just say really quick my experience has often been they want to know if i know own any a gun? famous yeah gun is definitely the question do you own a gun like honestly i've maybe seen one 40 years ago, 30 years ago, like I, it's not in my common life or whatever. But, but often what I find is that there is the, this pull, this love hate dynamic that I'm always answering to or talking about. And, and I get it. I love hate America too. Mm. Um, you know, it's really a, a tricky uh, thing. And I, and I'm fascinated because I feel like I've only lived in my own experience and, and know what that's like. And um, I know people have angry feelings towards my country and rightfully so in a lot of cases. And then, then there's also this love and, and people appreciate our warmth and friendliness, but that also means we're shallow and, you know, there's all sorts of fun stuff to navigate, which I find just fascinating. And, and oh, I, I, I love hate France and America as well. 
So yeah, <laughs> everyone love hate. Yeah, and just for the record, I love French baguette and for and especially the croissant. So there, there is nothing to compare that. I, I give you that one. All so right, graciously. Thank you. Very gracious. Yes. Very yeah. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, Wendy, there. Um, there are two different parts to this. Uh, one, I remember when I was in school, uh, every school had an exchange program with uh, France. So at a certain age, you go to France for a week or two in, in an exchange. And I remember people going there telling me, yeah, well, when they showed up at the village center, uh, the youth there said, hi, Hitler, and greeted them like that. So the typical stereotype you would expect, all, um, of course. And on the other hand, if you ask um, if I go to another country what are the response people uh, do give me it depends where I think that is something the EU uh, and Europe has done for us because if I go to Italy to the Netherlands even to France it's not that typical response you expect uh, what was about what, what was it about World War II or what was it about Hitler because it's so normal that you see people from other countries that you don't think about those stereotypes anymore in in your everyday life i guess mm. so if i go to italy and i talk to someone they just talk normal to me okay they, they do the uh, what uh, do you uh, um, do you like the pasta uh, what do we have in germany for example that would be something i would expect if i go to uh, it italy and talk to someone but not right. uh, well do you remember what happened in 1945 that, that was that never happened to me actually so yeah i think that's a very um uh, uh common thing is the proximity to those anything those minorities populations people you have preconceptions about the proximity and i think it was you wendy who said that about refugees and when you were working with them in sweden when you actually start knowing people um it, it completely annihilates like it destroys your the usually the way you thought about that before and it shows how artificial that is or shallow or i don't know but um yeah yeah, yeah. all right well, well sorry what i just said thanks thanks for answering my question <laughs> uh and thank you for uh being on the show both wendy and matthias that's gonna be it for uh today if people want more from you matthias are you still active on twitter i'm still active on twitter you can find me there under the handle matzekult m-a-t-z-e-k-u-l-t and if you're using mastodon you can find me under the same handle on the instance chaos.social Perfect. Wendy, still on Instagram with the kids being I hip? Am, I, am, I got a puppy, so I literally do nothing now um, besides <laughs> potty train. And uh, so it's Wendy with an I, Dunford on Instagram. And therapythursdays.com if you want to see. I'm actually a therapist, not just a news junkie. So oh. lots more going on there. Interesting. Excellent. Well, uh, maybe we'll talk about that more at some point in the future. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, you can find this show at Frenchspin.com. And of course, if you enjoy it, if you think it's valuable, then you can support it at patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. The link is in the show notes and it takes about two minutes to contribute. So thank you so much to those who already do. And if you don't, then maybe consider it. If you've been listening for a, a little while and you like what you hear, then uh, patreon.com slash the Phileas Club. Thank you so much, and we'll be back in about 
15 days-ish, I hope, with uh, another episode, I'm gonna try to make it happen, of our Brexit saga. Uh, after what happens in two days, I'm sure we'll have very interesting discussions. Talk to you then. Bye.